0: In just six days time, the Conservative Party will have a brand new leader, but that will affect a lot more than just its members as this man will be the Prime Minister for the foreseeable future, having a great hand in topics such as Brexit, spending, education and immigration. The current bookie's favourite is New York-born Boris Johnson, the former Foreign Secretary has confidence in himself to lead the country through Brexit, whether that be through a deal of his own or through no deal. The man going up against him will be Jeremy Hunt, the former Health Secretary, Culture Media and Sports Secretary and current Foreign Secretary, who also believes that a no-deal Brexit could be the way forward. But will either man have a successful long tenure at number 10, or will it be a short, frivolous stint on Downing Street? Today we analyse both candidates, what they stand for, and what are their ideologies, so that you have a better idea of what's really going on in this Conservative leadership race. I'm joined here today by my good friend Andrew Reynolds. Hello. And we'll go through both candidates, starting with off with the hot topic which we've discussed many times in this show and has been the hard-pressed issue for every journalism student for the last like four (laughs) years Brexit. Where do both the candidates stand on the topic? Let's start with Jeremy Hunt. What's his main idea for Brexit? What's his idea of dealing with it in the future?
1: Now Jeremy Hunt and Boris Johnson both are under a great deal of pressure to deliver Brexit their predecessor and current prime minister at the moment Theresa May, has failed to deliver Brexit in time with the extension we've seen recently. So Jeremy Hunt, first of all, has said that he wants to leave with a deal, as his predecessors wanted to, but is now saying he would le- he would be willing to back a no deal with, and I quote, a heavy heart if necessary. He, in order to do this, he would he said he would like to create a negotiating team and go back and try and renegotiate a lot of the agreement that Theresa made it over the course of several years. This is an issue because the, as far as the EU is concerned, negotiations are over. And today Jeremy Hunt has come out and said that he's not willing to have the backstop in any way part of any future negotiation. Jeremy Hunt has also gone forth and said that um, he wants to prevent a sort of emergency Brexit war chest just in case an no-deal Brexit occurs. And if it seems likely that he can, cannot um, have a future agreement with the EU, then he'll prepare for a dramatic and no-deal exit. He also says that he'll cover the potential costs of doing so with um, tariffs lowered in some areas like in farming and fishing, although this is a very much unknown territory. Um, Boris Johnson's quite similar in many ways. In both these candidates are a sort of race to the bottom in terms of trying to appeal to the Tory party base who are voting and who will become the next Prime Minister. And it's taken a bit of a, more of a hard line in saying that the, the United Kingdom will leave the European Union Come what may, and it's well. But at the same time, he still says that chance of a no deal Brexit is very, very, very low. Whilst Jeremy Hunt says that he might be willing to consider an extension in some circumstances, Boris Johnson has said explicitly that he will not consider an extension under any circumstances, and that we will leave by the 31st of October, regardless. This would probably mean a no deal Brexit if it came down to it. He's proposed that we will, you know, reach this deadline by using the. £39 billion pound divorce settlement that we technically owe the European Union to incentivise them to give us a better deal, and that if a no-deal Brexit did occur, he would make use of a niche and specific uh, ruling under the World Trade Organization, which is called GAT, 20, uh, GAT 24 which is provisioned under the General Agreement of Tariffs and Trade, and he, would, he argued that this would potentially help the United Kingdom of avoid tariffs in the next 10 years whilst he negotiated a trade deal after No Deal Brexit. Although this has come under fire from many uh, commentators and journalists like Andrew Neil for refusing to pay attention to things like the many of the articles within gat 24 which state that you need to have an agreement to have a future uh, trading relationship, you need to have a timetable, there are many specifics to this. And a No Deal Brexit very much doesn't indicate that you're going to form a future trading relationship and under this specific law wouldn't really apply
0: so it's interesting that both men seem pretty up for a no-deal Brexit if that's what had to happen and they're quite optimistic about that you know potentially being a successful future for the UK do you think there's any truth to that or do you think the British public have a little bit more to be worried about than what these two men are putting across
1: now both these men are trying to appease many parts of the party which are increasingly further to the right of the Conservatives. Many will be willing to leave the European Union regardless of whether there's a deal negotiated or not. Theresa May's deal was seen as a sort of capitulation by some members of the European Research Group. And I think there's an incentive for both Jeremy Hunt and Boris Johnson to make Andorio Brexit seem like it wouldn't be much of a deal, much damage. And Boris Johnson has said that he's merely... He said in many interviews that he's trying to talk up No Deal in order to threaten the EU because the EU has a lot to lose as well as the UK in No Deal Brexit because it would deal enormous economic harm to both of them. That's a truth that most economists wouldn't really refute. So he's saying that we could maybe threaten them and maybe try and use this to get a better deal but it seems unlikely since all these interviews obviously are seen by the European Union and they obviously can tell what he's doing.
0: So, on to the next hot topic, and this is one that's been discussed in many parts of the world, not only in the UK, but also different parts of the EU as well as the US. Immigration seems to be a a key part of every politician's manifesto these days. Let's start with Boris Johnson. How does he plan on dealing with this immigration crisis that some people say is happening currently in the EU and the UK?
1: Now, obviously, during the European um, referendum, Boris Johnson, amongst others, was very clear that the United Kingdom needed to pull back on immigration and limit the number of people entering this country every year. Now, this was actually one of the clear reasons, and you know, leading um reasons for many leavers in leaving the European Union, as this would stop EU workers coming into the United Kingdom. However, since we've um, start, since the referendum, we whilst we have seen a drop a number of EU workers coming to the United kingdom, we've seen an increase in non-EU workers, which implies that there's still that these jobs will always need to be filled, regardless of who comes and fills them. Boris Johnson, however, pro- proposes a sort of Australian-style points-based system, which kind of um, gives some immigrants priority over others, depending on what uh, if they have skills that are are beneficial to the country they're entering. And Boris Johnson has also said that. Immigrants also need a firm job offer and ability to speak English in order to come to the Kingdom. However, it's uncertain as to whether this would work, with Australia continuing to have a high number of immigrants from Singapore and China filling jobs that are needed from Melbourne to Perth. He's also said he would like a migration advisory committee, which is very vague at the moment, we're not sure what that would entail. And he also wants to, he also opposes, quite notably, the net migration target of under 100,000 a year which was a hallmark of Theresa May and also David Cameron's governments, trying to limit migration to this number. They failed constantly with numbers varying in the hundreds of thousands. This is somewhat similar to Jeremy Hunt's plan, with Jeremy Hunt also recognising that most Tory members want immigration to be limited, saying that skilled workers should be prioritised, as the Australian system would also kind of do. He also wants to stop migrants with less money coming to the kingdom to work which is an intriguing policy as it seems to maybe say to some Tory members yes this is this will stop people coming here and clicking benefits or what have you but also um, this could potentially be criticized since a lot of workers who come to the UK, EU workers, are nurses and nurses don't earn over £30,000 a year when they're starting off. A lot of EU workers who come here work seasonally like in strawberry um, farms or what have you in Southeast England, and they would obviously not earn above the threshold. So it's uncertain as to how that they would work. Would they get exemptions or what? He's also pledged to scrap the target entirely. I think this is probably both candidates recognising that the 100,000 target is really a weak point, and if the second they sort of put a solid number on where they want to reduce migration to, suddenly they create something they can be criticised on.
0: And on to our third topic, tax. Uh, How does the outlook for tax look like under these two men when it comes to things like corporation tax and business tax, but also the threshold of what people will have to pay on different levels of income? Again, let's go back to Jeremy Hunt. How's he going to deal with tax going forward under his regime?
1: Now, the Tories have been criticised quite recently for not being really a party of business with the Confederation of British Industry and many other sort of business bodies and um, banks saying that the Tories are perhaps careering too much towards a no-deal Brexit or they're not paying attention to warnings uh, many businesses have about certain Brexit policies. So both candidates here are trying to not only appeal to corporations but also appeal to many influential and rich members of society. Jeremy Hunt starts off with particularly focusing on business, saying he wants to turn Britain to the next Silicon Valley. Now, he wants to do this by cutting corporation tax to 12.5%. This is quite a considerable drop from the current rating and would create a considerable deficit. It's uncertain as to what he would have to cut back or increase tax elsewhere in order to pay for this. He also wants to raise the point at which workers start paying national insurance to at least least, um, £12,000 a year. This would help poorer workers, similar to how the tax allowance was increased as well to a similar rate. Um, He also pledges to scrap business rates for 90% of high street shops. I think this is really just uh, an attempt to try and revive the high street first of all, but appeal to Tory voters and Tory members who will be voting, to whom the death of the high street was a very um poignant and key moment in their sort of lives. He also plans to increase the tax-free annual investment allowance from one million pounds to five million pounds. This is um something for perhaps richer members of society, say, which you know will allow them to invest more tax-free. Boris Johnson, on the other hand, seems to focus slightly more on the rich entirely. With it, he wants to raise the tax threshold for the higher rate, £80,000 rather than £50,000. Now, the average person in the United Kingdom doesn't earn £50,000 or £80,000, so this would predominantly benefit richer people like Boris Johnson, and obviously is tailored towards the Tory membership, who are wealthier than Labour membership or Lib Dem membership. He also wants to raise the point at which workers start paying income tax, which would seem to be a similar measure to Jeremy Hunt's, and he also plans to review unhealthy food taxes, such as the sugar tax on soft drinks. This is seen as a sort of an attempt to combat the obesity crisis and an ongoing debate as to whether or not sugar taxes are beneficial. This is quite intriguing that he's proposing as well, since as London Mayor, he was the individual who proposed his own sugar tax within the London offices. And as London Mayor, he also was one of, the, one of his first sort of policies was to stop drinking on London tubes, and now he's railing against sort of nanny state interventions. So it seems that Boris Johnson's increasingly fluid with his policies in this area, or that he's changed his mind somehow.
0: You mentioned the phrase "nanny state" there when talking about the sugar tax. Could you just quickly sum that up?
1: Yeah, it's um, the nanny state is kind of a, an attack line used by many sort of conservatives and some other people across the political spectrum to attack what they see as like unnecessary govern- government meddling in people's lives so they might see like in scotland we have alcohol pricing different for each unit of alcohol there's like you know, it has a price at a certain minimum amount and this is used to sort of dissuade people from buying certain you know high um high alcohol volume spirits or whatever they would see this as unnecessary meddling in people's consumer choice and people should have the right to buy what they want and yeah that's basically it It's also
0: quite interesting that quite a lot of Jeremy Hunt's ideas relate a lot to business and kind of how he's going to support that. Do you think this has any relation to the idea of a no-deal Brexit and how a lot of people are worrying how businesses are going to be affected by no-deal Brexit? Do you think the idea that he's lowering the tax on a lot of corporations is maybe in an effort to encourage companies still to come to the UK even when it's a pretty bleak outlook in a post-Brexit
1: UK? Before and during the Brexit referendum there was some talk from Conservative MPs and Brexiteers that perhaps in a post-Brexit Britain you could make Britain almost like a sort of low corporation tax kind of zone on the edge of Europe that could benefit from both its proximity to Europe but also its different and low tax status. This was controversial at the time as people accused it of making Britain almost like Singapore or what have you but we're a much larger country so I was unsure how it would really work. Um, I think his plans are to a degree like that but also tailored towards businesses who are increasingly concerned about the potential of a no-deal Brexit at the end of October. Many businesses, particularly large ones, stockpiled extensively for what was the previous Brexit date. And they, frankly, cannot afford to t- stockpile again, They've, and with, you know, many of the things they're stockpiling being perishables, it's not really possible to carry over a lot of these stockpiled goods. So what he's trying to say here is, you know, yes, we might have an audio Brexit in October, and yes, you might not be able to afford to stockpile, or what have you, but we're trying to support you, and you should probably vote for me as candidate to be next Prime Minister.
0: So now let's look at spending. Um, It's interesting to look at Jeremy Hunt for one person because he has quite a varied portfolio of roles within Parliament. He's been Culture, Media and Sport, the Health Secretary and he's also currently the Foreign Secretary. So it's, you know, again, there's quite a lot of pies that he has his finger in. So it'd be interesting what are the key Places that he would like to put his money, his parliamentary taxpayers' money. So let's start with Jeremy Hunt again. What's his manifesto for spending should he become prime minister?
1: Now, the the manifestos for both candidates aren't that long. Obviously, it's unsure how long their tenure will be. So a lot of these things are centered around sort of contemporary issues that are popular at the moment. So Jeremy Hunt started off by saying he wants to increase defence spending by fifteen billion pounds over the next five years. Now, it, this is quite important as. An issue which has been quite close to home for many Tory voters and Tory members is the role of Britain internationally and the role of our defence forces. The, our defence forces have been slowly cut continuously since the Second World War, with all the exceptions. And many are concerned that a continuing lowering of our defence budget will decrease our, lo- our global influence. So Jeremy is taking quite a hard line on this. He also is promising to keep free TV licenses for over 75s, which is a really contemporary issue, with the BBC discontinuing that. So he's pledging to do this, an attempt to win over some elderly Tory voters. He's also saying he wants to build 1.5 million homes and create a right to own scheme for young people. This is similar to oh, the previous scheme under David Cameron, where he had his own sort of um, ISIS and what have you to attempt to buy homes for young people. It'll be intriguing to see whether or not this is a, if he is if this actually helps or whether or not, what actual form this takes. Um, His other policy is that he backs both HS2 as it continues and a third runway Heathrow. This differs from Boris Johnson, who's historically opposed a third runway Heathrow, saying he'd lie down in front of the bulldozers if they ever went ahead. Of course, the motion to have a third runway passed. And Jeremy Hunt just continues to support this motion as it goes forward. He just too is controversial. Some many Tory members in London and the rest of them support it as it's increased transport links, travel and travelling north. But many in the rural countryside hate it because it seems as a waste of money, and it also goes across much of rural England. So it's it's a pot- potentially risky but also beneficial policy. Boris Johnson, on the other hand, said that he wishes uh, wishes to put more money into towards public sector workers and to increase the national living wage by how much? That's uncertain, we don't really know. Seems unlikely that he would do it by a great deal, as this is something Jeremy Corbyn and many much, watch, watch the Labour Party and the Green Party um, have tried to raise attention around. He also said that he'd find the money to accrue an extra 20,000 police officers by 2022. This is also worth uh, noting that because um, the Conservative Party have cut around about 22,000 police officers since they took power in 2010, so this as an attack against them would be seen as still not fully um, reversing the cuts put against the police force, although this does actually address a lot of concerns around crime, particularly in London, to many Conservative members who are worried about the rising rate of crime and gangs and knife crime. He also promises to maintain spending at 0.7% of GDP in foreign aid. Now, this is an interesting one. This was something David Cameron very much ring-fenced, and it's something which he personally was quite strong on, going against many in his party's wishes to try and ensure that foreign aid stayed static at this amount. Now, Boris Johnson and Jeremy Hunt won't win a lot of friends by sticking with this, particularly Boris Johnson, because many of the core party eventually see it as a waste of money when they could be spending on their own. But in doing so, I think he seeks to win over many moderate um, Tories and ensure that he's not fully a Briggs-Deer cabinet and not fully a cabinet with one um, idea of how things should be done, ensuring that he can get elected. He wants to review HS2. What this means, that's uncertain, but it might be a middle ground between Jeremy Hunt's view and scrapping it fully.
0: What's HS2, just briefly?
1: Oh, it's a high-speed uh, rail network going from London to Manchester and Middle England. And it's really expensive, isn't it? Yeah, we're running into sort of... It's gone way over budget so far, running into the tens of billions. So whether or not this will be worth the money invested or not, or whether or not we're too far in, whether it can be cancelled even, that remains to be seen. Boris Johnson, in addition to HS2, has pledged to put full-fire broadband in every home by 2025. Now, there have already been some warnings about whether or not this is feasible, with many remote parts of Britain not really being... Close to any main uh, source of fibre of fibre, uh, many, close to any main source of fibre broadband, and any expansion there would be many many years in the future, and uneconomical to do so.
0: Yeah, like my gran used to live in Dunbeath. Do you think like up the north north of Scotland? Do you think her old house is gonna get some fibre broadband for those feisty ballot uh, podcasts? I don't think she's streaming it in four K. <laughs> <I mean, laughs> Now let's go on to health and social care, which is something that Jeremy Hunt should know quite a lot about, seeing that he was the health secretary for a number of years. Um, Let's start with his competitor, Boris Johnson. What's his idea for the future of health and social care within the United Kingdom?
1: So Boris Johnson said that he wants to rule out, pay for access, NHS, free to anybody at the point of use under his leadership. Now this is really a no brainer. In the UK, the NHS is seen by the vast majority of its um people as one of the crowning achievements in the UK kingdom, and no politician in the right mind would come out and say they're for a pay-for-access NHS. This is seen its policy is perhaps seen as a response to concerns about a potential US trade deal with the United Kingdom after we leave the European Union, which could potentially see the NHS become slightly more privatised or at risk he has also, Boris Johnson's gone on to say that um, previously uh, money spent in the EU could be put into the NHS. This is referring to his promise during the EU election campaign that we send £350 million a week to the NHS, why not put it in the to the EU rather Want to put it into the NHS. This was
0: one of his main kind of arguments in the yes. Brexit debate which was which turned out to be near enough
1: completely a lie. Mm-hmm. Yeah I mean there was much um, contention around the promise to begin with because it's £144 million a week if you count for the money we get back and the fact that there was never any guarantee we'd ever be put in our NHS in the first place and Boris Johnson and many other employees have never indicated that this money would in full be put back into, given the fact that we're going to have to set up a covenant EU agencies and all sorts and that however much money that would be left after that is un- uncertain and f- further on from this he's also said he would give public he- uh, sector workers a fair pay rise according to the current health secretary matt hancock matt hancock's an interesting one because he was an- initially a candidate for prime minister and put himself in sort of a, a juxtaposition to boris johnson but is now very much one of his key supporters, and it seems like he may be a member of a future cabinet, potentially continuing as health secretary. Um, furthermore, Boris Johnson has also said he would like to increase the amount spent in social care, including, according to a cross-party national consensus. What this actually means, whether it could just be a committee set up in order to discuss it, and whether that committee actually comes up with anything is to be seen. What's well, certain is both candidates have tried, or, or at the very least, indicating they want to invest in social care. This brings us to Jeremy Hunt, who explicitly states he wants more funding for social care. This is probably as a result of the NHS head and executives highlighting that one of the main issues for the NHS at the moment is when elderly people are in it and don't have the required social care to move them out of hospital and free up beds. He also wants to introduce an opt-out insurance system to fund future care, similar to the way pensions work. In this way, we would put forward a portion of our money to ensure that in our last few years of our life we would have the fundamental care we need to die in peace. Um, how this would work? Uncertain. He says it works similar to pensions, but many would argue this should be put, come directly out of the public purse, as opposed to out of people's ordinary um, <coughs> incomes. He also wants to target manufacturers on healthy foods to make them cut the sugar content, uh, which is Flashback to when Boris Johnson previously, in the tax section we talked about, was questioning sugar taxes. So we see they're both trying to address sort of a beat the obesity crisis that's still ongoing in many ways. Yeah, Jeremy Hunt also said that mental health support uh, should be offered in every school by crackdown on social media companies that fail to regulate their content. The government so far has tried and largely failed to rein in Facebook and Twitter and other internet giants, and what Jeremy Hunt really proposes is uncertain.
0: Yeah, that's, a lot of that's in relation to Instagram, wasn't it? Because there was a, a, num- a number of uh, suicide and, and people um, developing depression and anxiety through content that wasn't being uh, regulated on mm-hmm. Instagram. I think, I guess, another one of these kind of topical issues that's all very oh, yes. much been in the news recently. Um,
1: Many Tory members of <coughs> the parents or grandparents themselves and they'll be hearing in the news about streaming and all these um, new technological wonders and when they hear about sort of predators making use of this, or they hear about suicides as a result of this, this will be a popular policy among them to try and get social media companies to regulate their platforms. And as for the mental health support offer in every school, that's something which is getting increasing focus on the last few years. The idea of mental health and mental well being.
0: And quickly, I feel that something that's kind of always been discussed ever since. Like even David Cameron's Tory government uh, has been the idea of privatising the NHS and a lot of people have always talked about this and it's been a great worry for loads of people but what does this mean, privatising the NHS? Is there any benefits to it? Are there lots of drawbacks to it? And just quickly, what what would that mean if the UK was to actually go and privatise the NHS?
1: Now, no candidate in the right mind is ever going to actually promise to privatise the NHS. Privatising the NHS means that you would effectively take it out of the hands of government and put it into a sort of privately owned system. Kind of like what we did with sort of the Royal Mail for example. Um, you effectively turn it into a company as much as Greg's is or what have you. No one in the right mind would do that because in many ways when people think of private NHS they think of the US healthcare system. They think of a sort of high price, high price admittedly quite terrible system that fails to help the poorest and creates a tiered level system, in under which people can't pay for operations, and people die of illnesses which they don't really need to die of. When it comes down to it, the much of the discourse of the last few years have been around a fear of many private companies taking over what has been like previously public-owned things. Like for example, previously the NHS would have directly done X-rays or directly done physiotherapy. The NHS is now having to outsource this to private companies, and there's a fear that under, uh, you know a Tory-led government, they could privatise more and more parts until much of the NHS no longer is what we think is. And, until, and the fear always remains that someday in the future, many, many years to come, we will have to pay at the point of use for in the NHS. In Scotland, we don't have we don't have to pay for prescriptions or what have you. But in England, you do. And there's a fear that perhaps you might have to pay for more and more things as the future comes. But that's very much not something any candidate would want to put forward
0: and the final section we're going to cover on today's episode is education and something that, I, that immediately draws my eye on the notes is Jeremy Hunt saying he wants to abolish illiteracy just generally so, so let's start a, let's start at Jeremy Hunt and what he wants to do in the world of education
1: for the UK now both these candidates these are an attempt to win over some more younger members of the conservative youth isn't like most conservative members are middle aged or More well out of the education system, so this isn't really aimed towards them, but rather towards what they think younger people should have, and it's also tailored towards concern in the general public that you know that student debt is too high and that for many students it's very difficult coming out of school as well more difficult than it was for their parents perhaps. Jeremy Hunt starts off by saying he wants to write off tuition fees for young entrepreneurs who start a new business and employ more than 10 people for 5 years. This has already been criticised by many in the business industry because it seems very hard to regulate. Like, how would you stop some new graduates simply setting up a company with their friends, setting up social enterprise, running for 5 years and then getting all the tuition fees written off? And in order to police this, it would take quite a lot of public funds and how you qualify in a business and it's, it's very kind of complex. He also wants to reduce interest rates and in student debt payments. Now, how much by that really is uncertain, so we'll have to get back to that. His long-term plan is to provide more funding for the teaching profe- profession, this is something which teachers have long uh, asked for because many public servants have had their, sort of, well, had their salary just frozen. As after the in the aftermath of the 2008 financial crash and throughout a lot of the coalition years we had public servants, and many nurses and doctors and teachers being paid less actually over time thanks to inflation. And lastly we talk about him wanting to abolish illiteracy, not really sure what he means by that but I think this is probably part of his commitment to trying to eradicate literacy in many parts of Britain. I think this is probably in the wake of the news that some, that many kids leaving um, junior school or primary school, are not fully literate in some ways and this is alarming news for many. So I think he'll probably, what this probably will materialise as new targets for primary or sec, primary skills, more checks or tests perhaps. We'll probably have to see. Boris Johnson has a bit of a smaller list. He wants to raise per people spending in primary and secondary skills with a minimum of £5,000 for each student in secondary schools. Um, Perpetable spending is interesting as to what he actually means by that. It could mean that spending this investment, this a sheer lump amount of money going into each of these schools, it could mean that this could be extra support outside of school or it's, it's uncertain really what he means by that. And he also, but it is actually quite a size amount of money so we'll have to see. And in terms of secondary skills, it's uncertain whether he means all secondary skills or whether he means like, um, because we have numerous types of schools within London, we have academies and all sorts. So we'll have to see. And he also wants to look at lowering the interest rate on student debts. This is probably similar to Jeremy Hunt's. They'll probably look at it form a consultation and perhaps look at doing it. But it's important to know education is not as important to members as many of the other topics who have so far considered like spending and health and social care.
0: And that pretty much sums up the ideology of both candidates Jeremy Hunt and Boris Johnson. Um, both are currently vying for the role with ballots coming in from all the Conservative members uh, throughout the UK who will vote on who eventually gets the job in number 10 Downing Street. Although the bookies and pretty much everyone in between is basically pointing to the next Prime Minister being
1: Boris Johnson, is that correct? Pretty much. If you look at sort of the bookmakers, they put a sort of an odd of ninety-six percent of Johnson becoming the next Prime Minister, with him being by far more liked among the Conservative membership. It's important to note though that Boris Johnson's team really thought that most Conservative members would vote within the first week or so, first or second week after voting began, but a lo- the majority of them actually withheld their ballots until later on in the competition so they could see what both candidates had to offer, perhaps indicating that it might not be as great a majority as you might think. It's not impossible that Jeremy Hunt could take this, but it seems unlikely given that Boris Johnson not only has a large part of the membership and the media on his side, but also a large amount of support from many within this party and within many MPs. So if we look at what MPs support them, we have not only far-right or right-wing Brexiteers in the European Research Group, but also moderate Tories, such as like, his own brother, Joe Johnson, who quit the as Universities um secretary um, not that long ago under the Theresa May's administration, because he's a bit of a remainer. So we have a, quite a diverse um, group backing Boris Johnson, who believe that they can control him or maybe influence his uh, tenure in some way. Well obviously we'll have to see in a week's time who's announced and what impact they have for the next few months. It is important to remember though that only uh, whilst we have the uh, the next Prime Minister announced next week on the 23rd of July, summer recess begins on the 25th so they won't, there won't be a lot of parliamentary sitting, parliament sitting but well the first um, Impression of our new prime minister might be in their official en- engagements internationally, the response to events, perhaps speeches, and it'll be interesting after summer recess ends to see how he how he performs at prime minister's questions and uh, the numerous other <laughs> crises that regularly haunt uh, House of Commons. So essentially,
0: after our new prime minister is announced, two days after it. Parliament's going to basically go on holiday.
1: Yep, pretty much. That
0: seems a bit counterintuitive with the looming danger of Brexit hanging Mm. a couple months over us.
1: Yeah, Donald Tusk was very clear that we should not waste this time but I'm not certain we've used this time well at all. Not much has changed since um, Theresa May's deal failed for the third time with the Tory party immediately launching this quite drawn out leadership competition and now sort of recess almost beginning. I think it's sad to say that we may end up with summer recess ending with as much being in the same place as we were last year. Uh, much of the issues haven't changed and whoever the new European Council present is or the European Council, uh, European Council or the European Commission present is they will very much have to deal with the similar issues as the predecessors in dealing with the UK.
0: And finally, obviously it's a bit of a tough role to take, especially at this moment, I mean it's always tough to be Prime Minister, but it's not like the whoever takes the role in the end will be coming into it in a very regimented general election, you know, it's, it's everything's kind of been thrown up in the air with this leadership debate and, and candidacy race, do you see let's say Boris Hunt, let's call that our our candidate for a moment. Boris Hunt, no matter who gets the job, do you see them being the Prime Minister for that long a term?
1: I think their chance of surviving a year is quite low at the moment. It's not impossible, but it's quite low. We're seeing... A lot of the candidates are trying to talk up no deal is not that bad. They're not only trying to convince... Because they know that if it goes badly, or if it occurs if it looks like it's going to occur, MPs could vote to bring down the government and call a general election, vote, uh, vote of no confidence in the government. And if that happens, they would have to contest a general election. There's no guarantee they would win. If the FMPs did not call a vote of no confidence, either because the problem was prorogued, which is in itself controversial, or because they were somehow convinced not to, or it was too close, or what have you, then MPs would then have to, and the Tory Party would have to deal with whatever the aftermath of No Deal for Brexit or a compromise Brexit would be and I personally believe that there's no real Brexit deal that can ever truly satisfy everyone and there's no true Brexit deal that can ever really deliver on all the promises being said to the moment by both candidates so we're going to have a situation of where they're going to have to deal with the exact same thing Theresa May dealt with which is juggling the entire Tory party and the British people's views and the European the union's views all at once and that's So far, seem like an almost impossible job.
0: And that sums up this episode. Hopefully you've got a better idea of what Jeremy Hunt stands for, what Boris Johnson stands for, and what their plans are likely to be, uh, whoever should take over as Prime Minister. I've been joined once again by the man doing all the talking, Andrew Reynolds. <laughs> uh, we'll be back with you whenever that happens. Don't know, this is kind of done in an as-and-when basis to be honest. Um, our next episode will probably be talking about how whoever actually gets the job is dealing with it, probably in a, in a month or so, but I don't want to put any guarantees it on anything. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Ballot podcast and I just have to say thank you very much again for listening and we will see you in the next one. Bye.